Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Well, thank you for joining uh, the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. And uh, this is episode 27. At least uh, this is my episode 27. This may be your first endeavor to encounter uh, what we're doing here, what I'm doing here. My name is Mark Miner, and I'm just a pastor and a father and a grandfather. Uh, I teach uh, at a college level, and I, I do a lot of things. I was involved in politics a little bit, but most importantly, uh, I want to be a man of God, and I want to be a man of integrity, and I also want to pursue to understand what I consider to be the greatest book ever written, a book not written by men, but through men, but simply written by God, his word communicated to us. So thank you for being a part today, and uh, <clears throat> we're looking today at uh, the man, uh, we're talking about uh, the world of Paul. Last week, we talked about the man named Paul, and I suggested to you last week that next to Jesus, the most influential human that has ever walked the face of the earth, for sure that has ever walked uh, the planet in the last 2,000 years, is the Apostle Paul. That's my suggestion to you. There have been many great discoveries in medicine and travel and convenience. There have been incredible inventions over the last 2,000 years, communication and safety in so many different realms. But for all the discoveries and inventions, Paul the Lord through Paul, perhaps I should say, but, but God used him as a chosen instrument. Paul created a civilization, what we know of as the Western civilization. And that Western civilization, uh, the Judeo-Christian ethos or ethic, if you will, has touched body, soul, and spirit and created a positive everywhere it is gone. I know there are critics that say, well, any time that the missionaries come in or this Jesus thing comes in, things go bad. Well, that's not true. There are bad actors. There are bad mechanics. There are bad carpenters. And there are bad people who pretend to be Christians. But the true and unadulterated gospel always is positive. Any culture it goes in throughout the spread, particularly the last 2,000 years. Also, in last episode, we asked the question, why Paul? Why would God choose a man by the, by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who was actually a Christian terrorist who sought to destroy the church and Christianity? And yet we talked about some of the reasons that God would have uh, chosen Paul. First of all, his pedigree or his credentials. He was a noted Pharisee, so everywhere he went in the Roman Empire, he could immediately walk into a synagogue, which is what he did. If you'll read through the book of Acts, he always went first to the Jews and to the synagogue, and they accepted him because he was very wise and astute, and he used the Old Testament to speak to the authenticity of Jesus Christ. He was also a second-generation Roman citizen. So he could go anywhere in the Roman Empire with the rights and integrity that he had as a Roman citizen. In fact, in Acts 21, 39, he talks about the town where he came from, Tarsus, and he said he was a city of no ordinary, uh, a citizen, excuse me, of no ordinary city. So Paul used his credentials as well as his intellect and many other things to be that chosen vessel. 
Today, we are in a quest to understand <clears throat> excuse me, the Bible, but also we want to understand want to understand the world that Paul knew. Some uh, years ago, a friend of mine, a lot of people in my area here, work at a huge factory. It makes tires. It's a it's continental tire. Uh, thousands of workers and all sorts of jobs, covers acres of ground, uh, not too far from where I sit today. And, and many people have worked there, and I've heard them talk about their job, but I never could really understand or relate. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to tour the, uh, the factory as it was working. I, I got to experience the smells, the smell of the exhaust, of rubber, of, of energy, of, of all the different things going on in that plant. Uh, I got to see the activity as people were scurrying from here to there on these little uh, four-wheeler type uh, vehicles. And it looked like a lot of fun because they were going fast, but their purpose was to get materials from one place to another. Anyway, my point is I began to relate to what it was like to work at Continental Tire. I now understood a little bit more. The context became more real for me. Well, that's what we're attempting to do today as we talk about the world Paul knew. Now, I want to suggest a couple of things to you. If you've been listening for a while, you obviously are a student of the Bible. Your desire is to know more about the Bible. I want to give you a couple of suggestions that work across the span of the 66 books. Anytime you're studying the Bible, I would encourage you to do two things. One, I would encourage you to turn to the back of your Bible and look at those maps. Yes, the maps. Maps are important. Uh, God is a God of geography. The reason that Israel is where it's at is not because it was rich or wealthy or situated on oil or any of those other things. It was because of the geography of where it is. Uh, the places that we read about in the Bible, there is a purpose to them. And so to understand the Bible, you need to understand a little bit about the maps and the geography. So I would encourage you to look at those maps and begin to place in your mind where these places are, where these cities are. We're going to look at numerous cities in the book of Acts and Paul traveling the 10,000 miles that he traveled, traveling the 20 years of his ministry, was in city after city after city. Some of them we can pronounce, some of them maybe we can't uh, in the book of Acts and other places. But to just have an idea where they're at will be very helpful to you in your journey, to simple journey to understand the Bible. Also, secondly, establish mile markers. I try to give you dates and distances very often. Uh, they need, they are reference points and they are needed in our mind and our understanding. The Bible gives us many mile markers. It gives us places. It gives us events. Uh, it gives us genealogies after genealogies after genealogies. And I know you hate to read those sometimes, but every one of those people and every one of those situations, God is using to establish a mile marker. But just in the big scheme of things, I give you approximate dates and approximate distances. We're going to look at that and talk about that even today, just because that helps me at least to cement some of the events and to put them in an order as the Bible tells its story. We've been looking at the book of Acts uh, as we talk about Paul and his journey. And one thing that I've noted, or hope I I've, will say again anyway, from Acts 13 on till the end of the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts literally becomes the account of Paul, Paul's journey and Paul's journey westward. 
because he is moving from Jerusalem west. And I'm giving you the idea here that part of that is he's establishing what we know of now as the Judeo-Christian world or Western civilization and all the benefits and blessings that have come in it. So we're looking from Acts chapter 13 on. Today we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the Roman world as Paul found it. And then at the close, we're going to talk about a second thing, the conversion of the Roman world. So uh, <clears throat> hope this makes some sense to you. I'll, I'll try to go as quickly. Sometimes I, I go over the 24 minutes. I apologize for that. Hopefully that will not take place today. Let's look at the Roman world as Paul founded it, as Paul found it. And he did help to found it, it too, uh, in the sense that he reinvented the Roman world. Uh, we'll talk about that next week when we look at the books that Paul wrote uh, from Romans to Philemon and Titus. But let's talk about these 13 books of the New Testament that are written by Paul. There was, And I'm going to name them to you simply because there's a reason uh, we need to see them maybe in a little bit different light. Uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. 13 books that Paul has written. Of those 13 books, seven of them are written to cities, or may, maybe more specifically, to churches that are growing in, in these seven different cities that Paul writes to. The others are written as personal letters to individuals, three individuals particularly, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So we have letters to churches, we have letters to individuals, and those are the sum of Paul's 13 letters. Now let's talk about the world that Paul lived in, that he grew up in, that he was very comfortable in, in a sense, because he was a Roman citizen. I want to make a statement to you, and I'm confident that this statement is true, but you may disagree. I would just encourage you to do some research on your own to see what uh, assessment you come up with. But here's my statement. <clears throat> Paul's world was worse than the current-day America by far. In other words, the culture that Paul grew up in was far and away worse than what we are experiencing here in America as I sit here in 2001 and record this podcast, by far. Let me explain and just share a few things. In the Roman world that Paul grew up in, corruption was epic. Graft and political vice were everywhere, and it was what was traded. It was how power changed hands. Uh, secondly, there was incredible prejudice during the Roman Empire and in the Roman Empire. Not so much racial prejudice, uh, according to the color of skins, but definitely class prejudice. You either were in or you were out. And if you were out, you were a plebe. You were a slave. You were less than whoever might be uh, in the know or in the, the class above you. So prejudice was very much a part of the Roman uh, society. Uh, a third thing here is the, there were horrendous crimes against children. Pedophilia was rampant homosexuality and other forms of vices and, and uh, very common for wealthy Roman citizens to have own literally a child that would be in a sense a, a sex object for them. Uh, and it was very common. It was accepted. Uh, in some places it was even expected. Uh, 
And so we have this whole vice going on and very endemic in the Roman Empire. Pornography was rampant. Some that would make some of our, our, our porn flick film uh, produces today blush, perhaps. Incredible immorality, incredible behaviors that archaeologists have unearthed and we see on, on vases, on walls and floors, uh, tiles of different things. Uh, things that would make certainly your grandmother blush, but probably even Hugh Hefner blush. Pornography was everywhere. And this is the world that Paul grew up in. There was slavery. And, and many people owned slaves. Slaves that were captive by the Roman Empire. Slaves because they were children that had been captured or birthed within the confines of slavery. But slavery was rampant. We even have one of Paul's books written to a man who was a slave owner by the name of Philemon. So uh, it, was, it was expected. It was understood. I won't say it was accepted, but it certainly was a part of the Roman Empire. Women's rights were at best uh, sketchy. Women didn't really have the right on who they chose to marry. Sometimes they were forced into all kinds of other types of situations simply because they were women. So uh, the Roman Empire was no friend to uh, the woman uh, in, a, in a normal sense. Also, there was such a depth of witchcraft and sorcery in the Roman Empire. We see that in some of the cities of the Roman Empire, Ephesus particularly, uh, Corinth, other cities. So uh, there was satanic activity going on uh, of a, in, a, in a form that would, uh, I think, pale, uh, uh, cause what might be going on in America to pale today because it was so much a part of society. And then there was the fear of government. Now, we all have some fear of government. We have fear of those who have power and control. But my friends, uh, the Roman government could become incredibly stable, unstable, particularly when there were transitions. There were numerous Roman emperors. We call them Caesars. You might remember Caesar Augustus. Uh, he served for 41 years. He was the Caesar or the Roman leader during the time of Jesus' birth. Uh, so 41 years he served. Then there was another man by the name of Tiberius who served 23 years. So, uh, And he was the one that uh, was uh, in control when Jesus was alive, did his ministry, and ultimately was crucified. He served 23 years. So those two were long and fairly stable governments for the Roman Empire. But there were many others that were... Uh, that, that came and went, that uh, the Roman emperors were, were uh, very sad and very sadistic in some ways. We'll talk about Nero. We'll talk about Domitian here in just a little bit. But uh, the time of transitions in the Roman government was always frightening for the people because it always involved intrigue, murder, bloodshed, uh, some kind of political revolt, and it was always messy until things sorted out and the people were collateral damage in the Roman Empire. Now, friends, this is the world that Paul grew up in. And again, I will suggest to you, and I think we'll prove it as we go forth here in the next few minutes, uh, it was worse than America. Paul did his ministry in this kind of environment. For us here today, especially those of us who have a concern and a desire to see America, I will say, come back to God. We should understand that what we're fighting against is not nearly what Paul was fighting against or, or the environment that he was ministering in. So there is great hope for us today. Uh, so don't get discouraged. Let's talk about some of the cities that Paul ministered in. The Roman world as Paul found it. That's what we're talking about. So let's talk about the Roman Empire, for that was literally Paul's domain. The Roman Empire had a population of about 4 million people total. Now that may seem like a lot of people, 
but that is also the number of people in the state of Oklahoma. So for all of the Roman Empire, you could fit them all into Oklahoma easily. Uh, that wasn't a tremendous amount of people, but it was a large amount. Uh, the city of Rome itself contained one-fourth of the population, a population of about one million people. Uh, if you've ever been to Austin, Texas, Austin, Texas contains a population of about a million people. So that's how big Rome was. And, of course, many things going on in Rome, and it was the center of the Roman Empire. But just to give you an idea of the world that Paul uh, lived in and grew up in, there was the city of Athens, a smaller city, approximately 75,000 people, and maybe 25 or 30 percent of that 75 were slaves owned by the Athenians. But it was a center of knowledge and philosophy. People like Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato, we all know those names, all lived and grew up in this city. Uh, of course, the goddess Athena and all of the worship of her took place in that uh, city, the goddess of knowledge. So Athens, uh, Paul went there, and we'll talk about that more next week. But Athens was one of the cities that Paul visited and that we read about in the Gospels, or excuse me, in the letters of Paul. Then there was Corinth. The city of Corinth has about a half a million people. Think Atlanta, Georgia. That's about how big the city of Corinth was. I want to read something to you from a Greek historian by the name of Strabo. And uh, this Greek historian talks about Corinth. He talks about how cosmopolitan, how wealthy, and how very, very sensuous this city was. Now remember, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. Paul stayed in Corinthians and worked in Corinthians. So this is the environment that he was in. And as Strabo, this Greek historian, writes, and I quote, The city called Wealthy Corinth on account of its trade, is called Wealthy Corinth on account of its trade. Situated on an isthmus, it is the master of two harbors, one leading to Asia, the other leading to Italy. And the temple of Aphrodite acquired such wealth that it owned over 1,000 slaves, women dedicated to the goddess for sex and entertainment. And so the city was crowded and enriched because of these women as shipmasters easily spent everything they had. Do you understand what Strabo, this non-biblical Greek historian, just said? Corinth was a mess. It made New Orleans look like a saintly city or any other city that might have a, a negative reputation. Uh, Corinth was saturated in sexual uh, prostitution and all sorts of other uh, sad, sad scenarios. That's uh, the city of Corinth. Let's talk about Ephesus for a minute. Ephesus had about a quarter of a million people during Paul's time there. Paul spent two years in Ephesus. If you want a city in the United States close to that size, think Richmond, Virginia. Uh, that's about how big Ephesus was. But in Ephesus, there was a temple, as was there in Corinth. But in Ephesus, there was the temple of Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians. This temple was the seventh one, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was 450 feet long. This is just the building now, the temple itself. That's a football field and a half long. It was 250 feet wide, had tremendous columns. It was beautiful in the sense of the marble that it was made out of. Uh, Ephesus was an incredibly wealthy and powerful city. There was a stadium that held 25,000 people. 
a few years ago, I had the chance to go to what is now Turkey and went to Ephesus. I, I stood on the stage there at this very uh, place in Ephesus. Uh, this stadium is bigger than the Staples Arena where the L.A. Lakers play. It only holds 19,000 people. The stadium in Ephesus held 25,000. This is the prosperity and the size of Ephesus. And yet Paul stayed there two years. It was also a center for witchcraft and sorcery. We read about that in Acts 19.19 where the Bible says a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. Verse 20 says, in this way, the word of the Lord grew widely, uh, spread widely and grew in power. So they brought their witchcraft books together and they burned them and it was worth 50,000 drachma. Sometimes people think a drachma is a day's wages. Uh, it's easily approaching $50,000 worth of literature burned that had to do with satanic issues and witchcraft and sorcery. That was the city of Ephesus. So as we think about the world as Paul experienced it and founded it, where he did his ministry, it was a wicked, very pagan place. I mentioned the Roman emperors, and let me say just a few things about them. Uh, I've mentioned Augustus and Tiberius, and I don't know, as you understand the Bible, it's important for you to know all of the Roman emperors, but you should understand that they played a big part in, uh, in the New Testament, and particularly in the book of Acts and in Paul's life. One uh, emperor was uh, the, a man by the name of Nero, and he reigned from 54 AD to 68 AD. And in his 14 years, some horrendous, unbelievable, unconscionable things took place. Uh, Paul was probably uh, persecuted and uh, died during the reign of Nero. The, the tradition is that Paul was uh, beheaded. The reason for that is that he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens were never crucified. Simon Peter was crucified uh, in his martyrdom for Jesus. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, probably, tradition holds, was beheaded, probably by the Caesar named Nero. Let me read to you about Nero, not from the Bible, but from a man, a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, who was alive during Nero's reign. Nero was evil. He was insane. He was off the charts wicked. He became the emperor at 16 years old. So he was just a young punk, if you will, of a man. Uh, he murdered his own mother, Agrippina, uh, because she came against him. And somehow or another, he instituted or at least allowed for the burning of Rome. Many people believe that he did this because he wanted to rebuild it in his own image. Regardless, it sort of boomeranged on him. And so, as you've heard tradition, uh, he blamed somebody, the scapegoats, and who best to blame but this new group of people called the Christians. Let me read what Tacitus says. Here's his words. Consequently, to get rid of the false report, or the report, that, that is, of the burning of the city, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, that would be Jesus, uh, from whom the name uh, from the from whom the name had its origins, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of uh, one of our procurators procurators. Accordingly, an arrest was made of all Christians who then pleaded guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude were convicted, not so much 
of the crime of firing or burning the city, but they were convicted, listen to this now, of hatred against mankind. Boy, have we not heard that recently. Hate crimes. They were convicted of hate crimes. Let's continue on and let me read what what Tacitus says. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. They were covered in skins of beasts. They were torn apart by wild dogs and perished. Or they were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illuminations when the daylight had expired. That's what Nero did to the Christians. That's the world that Paul grew up in or did his ministry and abided in during his years of ministry. Let me read to you about one other Roman emperor, a man by the name of Domitian, who uh, was Roman emperor in 81 to 96 AD. This would be during the time of John the Apostle's imprisonment on the Isle of Patmos and the writing of the book of Revelation. Uh, Domitian, uh, according to Aronis, who was a, a Greek bishop, a Greek author, this is what he says of Domitian. Uh, the revelation of John was written during the reign of Domitian and reflected the emperor's anti-Christian attitude. Suppression, expen- uh, suppression extended to the family of the emperor, so high had Christianity penetrated. Now let me stop there for just a moment and say the the power of Christ had reached in to the very highest echelons of the Roman government, and that's what Iranus is writing here. So we know that the world Paul grew up in and the world that Paul ministered in was a very cruel, a very sensuous, a very wicked generation, and yet Paul took the gospel. And the last thing we'll talk about here is the conversion of the Roman world. And I simply want to say that God said to Paul that he would preach, uh, he would share his message in very unique places. As we read through the book of Acts and a few other of his letters, we find that Paul preached not just to the crowds and the masses where he loved to go, but he also, particularly during his arresting, his times of arrest and imprisonment, to some very elite individuals. He preached to the Sanhedrin, uh, Jewish peers to whom he belonged. He preached to Felix, who was the governor of Judea, took Pontius Pilate's place. He also preached to Festus, who also was a governor of Judea and took uh, Felix's place. He was also in the seat of of what Pontius Pilate had been. Then he preached to King Agrippa. King Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. Yes, the very one who ordered the killing of the babies in Babylon. He's the one who said uh, to Paul, Uh, Those famous words, do you think that you could persuade me in such a short time to become a Christian? I just want you to think about that. Paul's message had reached to the very ones who had most vehemently opposed the birth and the ministry of Christ. So powerful was the spread of the gospel and the conversion in the Roman world. Paul probably preached to Caesar in Acts 25, 11. He said, I appeal to Caesar And because he appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Very probably Paul preached the gospel to Nero or whomever might have been on the throne, but it probably was Nero at that time. I just want to close with these words. Uh, The miracles throughout the book of Acts and the early church were manifold. They were powerful. They were incredible. And I pray that we see them even more so in our day. The miracles drew people to Christianity. But I would say to you this. It was the love, the holiness, the servanthood, 
the character and the changed lives of those Christians throughout the Roman Empire that established Christianity as such a force, a life-giving force in this very wicked Roman world. Thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to talk about understanding some of the New Testament issues as we look at Paul's letters from Romans to Philemon. Thank you for being a part. Hope this has blessed you today for this episode of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week and may God be glorified in your lives.